Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this morning's service. Thank you, Lord, that you are here, you are with us, you're here to minister to the body of Christ. Lord, we're not here for religious formality, but we're here for ministry. We're here to be touched by your Holy Spirit. We're here to be touched by your word. We're here to be touched by fellowship. Lord, help us, God, to do those three things this morning, Father, as we worship you in spirit and truth, as we study your word. And Father, help every heart and mind to sit back, relax, and soak everything in that you have for them this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. So this morning, we're in back into our verse-by-verse study through the book of Revelation. So if you would, turn to Revelation chapter 14. And while you're turning to Revelation chapter 14, I want to read to you from Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. But listen to this, guys. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3 says that you are blessed. Listen to what it says. Blessed is he who reads... And those who hear the words of the prophecy and heeds the things which are written in it, for the time is near. We are blessed by the Lord for being able to study the book of Revelation. And remember, as we study the book of Revelation, a lot of times we can get caught up in the drama. We're looking at the Antichrist. We're looking at the false prophet. We're looking at the beast and the dragons and and all these other cataclysmic things that John sees going on in the spirit realm. But what you need to understand and what John is going to do in Revelation chapter 14 this morning, he's going to take us back to the central theme of the book of Revelation. And that's the central theme of Calvary Chapel Irmo. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the reason we exist is to help believers know and love Jesus more. And if you don't know Jesus, if you're not born again, our goal is that you enter into that loving, awesome relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the purpose. That's the theme of Revelation. And what John is going to do is, is he's, this, is, this chapter is called an interlude. And the interlude is where the author pauses for a moment from all the cataclysmic stuff that's taking place, and he reminds you of some foundational truths. And what we're going to see this morning is the 144,000 are going through the, Revel- going through the Great Tribulation. They're going to be given this vision, this vision of the Lord Jesus Christ on Mount Zion. And it's going to encourage them. It's going to lift them up. And then halfway through verse 14, he's going to talk about the doctrine of hell. And he's going to talk about what happens to those who take the mark of the beast. And we're going to look at that. And then he's going to close the chapter with the reaping. The reaping. Uh, where Jesus reaps where there's a final revival in chapter 14 and there's also another reaping that's the final reaping for judgment that's the final reaping for judgment that no man will no man or no woman will escape on planet earth so let's get into it we go back to our timeline real quick Uh, i show this each week Uh, a scale across the bottom of the book of revelation the church age revelation chapter one through three Revelation 4 and 5, the scene in heaven. And we're in Revelation chapter 6 through 18, which is the seven-year tribulation period, which will be there for a while. But this morning is an interlude. He pauses. And uh, in chapter 14 is an amazing chapter because in the middle of all the hell breaking loose on earth and the events of the great tribulation taking place, the Holy Spirit directs John to write down and remind us of the central figure 
of the book of Revelation, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we've talked about the 144,000, and I believe this, this comes at right at the perfect time of the Great Tribulation, man. Because, man, these are warriors. These are like Christian Navy SEALs. They are battered. They are worn. But they need encouragement to make it through the Great Tribulation, and God is going to give them just that. So let's take a look at it. Revelation chapter 14, verse 1, in our verse by verse study, says, Then I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his name, and the name of his Father written on their foreheads. Now, the first thing that grabs my attention when I read this verse, it says, Then I looked, and it says, Behold the Lamb. Have we heard that before in the Gospels? Who said it? John the Baptist. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming, he announced to Israel, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Found in John chapter 1, verse 29. What does it mean to behold the Lord Jesus Christ? Because that's where, that's, that's where I'm taking you guys. That's where I'm taking myself. That's where all churches should take all people, is to behold the Lamb of God. What does it mean to behold the Lord Jesus Christ? It means, uh, when, you, when you say that word behold, it grabs your attention. In other words, embrace the Lord Jesus Christ is what he's saying. Embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. In that word behold, it also means to obey, to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. It ultimately means, and this is the heart of Christianity. What is the heart of the Bible? What is the heart of the gospel? Is that you and I surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. That you and I surrender to him. That's what behold means. And to follow him. He says, then I look and behold the lamb was standing on Mount Zion. Now, there's really two interpretations of this Mount Zion in verse 1. And it could be either or. I'm not sure which one it is. But when he says Mount Zion, he's either one talking about heaven, because in heaven, we're going to see in the book of Revelation chapter 21, that heaven is called the New Jerusalem, also called Mount Zion, but also the city on earth, the, the Jerusalem that we know today, is called Mount Zion. So it could be one or the other. It could be one or the other. But he's talking about Jerusalem, either Jerusalem on earth or the New Jerusalem in heaven. He says, and with him, 144,000 having his name in the name of his father written on their foreheads. Now, this 144,000, if you go back to Revelation chapter 7, it'll tell you exactly who these people are. These are Jewish evangelists. God's going God's to reconstitute the tribes of Israel, and they are going to become the evangelism program during the Great Tribulation. Now, there will be some of us on earth. There will be Gentile believers. But the Gentile believers in the 144,000, that will be God's church or God's Christians during the great tribulation that he will use to reach out to those in the dark days of the... Uh, and notice he says, having his name and the name of his father written on their foreheads. That's an interesting statement because what did we look at last week? The mark of the beast. So everybody's getting marked during the great tribulation. The, the people that follow the Antichrist, which is ultimately following Satan, are going to receive the mark of the beast, 666. But here, God is going to mark his people. He's going to mark his people to designate. There's going to be a clear delineation between the believers and the unbelievers during the Great Tribulation. Verse 2. So, so the first encouragement for the 144,000 is they see Jesus on Mount Zion. Whoa! 
Wow. They see the glorified Lamb of God. Now let's look at the second encouragement for the 144,000, which is in verse 2 and 3. He says, And I heard a voice from heaven, like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of loud thunder. And the voice which I heard was like the sound of the harpists playing on their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn the song except 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. Now, I just have to place myself there to think how these people were thinking, these Jewish evangelists, seeing the, 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 the tyranny, seeing the darkness of the great tribulation. First, they see Jesus exalted. That encourages them. Secondly, they hear something. They hear something from heaven. I call this fresh wind, a fresh sound from heaven. This choir singing in heaven is likely tribulation saints who have been previously martyred. Their worship and their song can be heard by the tribulation saints still living on the earth. This had to be a huge encouragement for the tribulation Christians. See, one, seeing Jesus on Mount Zion, whether it's the new Jerusalem or the Jerusalem on earth, we're not sure. But secondly, hearing the worship of heaven. You know, I don't want to, this is a small comparison. I, I, I think this is, this is big. This is huge. This is uplifting. But it's kind of like when we're down and out and we're depressed and we've had a rough day and all of a sudden you hear that awesome worship song, your, your favorite worship song, your, your favorite hymn or your favorite contemporary Christian music, and all of a sudden it just, it just lifts you up. You know, it's like Darlene Sheck. It's just like, whoa, this is amazing. It's kind of one of those situations, I believe, for the 144,000. So they're getting encouraged, okay? You know, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you don't need encouragement. It doesn't mean that you don't need to be pushed along the way. You know, you need encouragement. The Christians before us need encouragement. And the believers during the Great Tribulation will need encouragement. Encouragement goes a long way. Let's be people that encourage each other in the Lord. Let's be people that push others forward. We don't condemn them, but we show them the truth and we push them to the good news of Christ and we encourage them. Let's look at their focus. I call this their focus, determination, and grit. That's found in verses four and five. Verses four and five says, I love this. These are the ones who have not been defiled with women, for they have kept themselves chaste. These are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. These have been purchased from among men as the first fruits to God and to the lamb. And no lie was found in their mouth, and they are blameless. These guys, man, they're rough, and they are tough, and they are built for the mission. They are built for the mission. These 144,000 in Revelation chapter 14, they understand the gospel and they are following the Lord Jesus Christ. Now verses four and five, if you look at it closely, there are three responses, three responses. The first one is found in uh, verse four. And I love this, it's halfway through verse four. It says, these are the ones who follow the lamb. You know, that's a wonderful, beautiful statement of Christianity. You and I, 
we follow the Lamb. We follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We study his life in the four gospels. We look into the epistles. We look into the scripture. And by the way, when you study the Bible, you know, the, and you have faith, it's like a front row seat to the events in the life of Christ. And we follow him in his life, in his earthly ministry. And we simply say, Lord Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to follow the lamb. These guys followed the lamb. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That phrase, follow me, means we pattern our life. The first part of verse 4, it says, these are the ones who have not been defiled with women. In other words, they were sexually pure. They maintained their sexual purity. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 says, says to the Christians, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Christians, you know, we live in a day and age where uh, it's promiscuous. People sleep and do whatever, but God's standard never changes, and he calls us to sexual purity. And these guys, they've got it. They got their focus, they got their determination, they got their grit, they got their armor on, and they are fighting like you know what for the kingdom of God. And then also it says in verse 5, look at verse 5, he says, No lie was found in their mouth, for they are blameless. Meaning these guys, they walk in integrity, they walk in purity of heart. You know what we call this today? This is called obedience. Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. These guys had what it took to make it. These guys, we know from the rest of the text, they have what it takes to make it through the great tribulation. My question for you this morning is, do you have the grit of the believer, of the Christian? Are you determined? Are you focused? Have you made up your mind? Are you, are, are, do you have the determination? Is there, is there this thing inside of you that says, come hell or high water, no matter what happens in life, I'm going to love my Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to serve my Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm going to follow him. That's the essence of the gospel, is that you give your life to him. And they had it. They were not defiled with women. They followed the lamb. There was no lie found in their mouth, and they are blameless. And they are the first fruits to God in the lamb during the great tribulation. Let's continue. Verse 6. Verse 6. Hey, and by the way, one other little note there, something just came to my mind. When you look at verses 1 through 3, you see the encouragement of beholding the Lamb of God, of hearing the music from heaven. Look at the result. The results of verses 4 and 5. You know, when we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, when we commit to following him, and we're in that atmosphere of worship, we can live out the gospel in those areas like they did in verses 4 and 5. Verse 6. Verse 6. And I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. So here he says, I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven. When I read that verse and I thought about the great tribulation and everything that we've seen so far, that makes me think about how dark it is on earth. It's getting so dark and so evil and so wicked that God's got to put the gospel up in the air and proclaim it from an angel. Because it's getting so dark. But here's the thing is, 
It says an angel flying in midheaven. It says an angel flying in midheaven. That means that this angel is going around planet earth in the atmosphere. And what does he have? Verse 6. The eternal gospel. Notice what it says there in verse 6. The eternal gospel. This is the only gospel that will ever be. Jesus Christ, in Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's one gospel. It's the eternal gospel. And it's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But anyway, going back, they're flying in mid-heaven, in mid-heaven, and they preach to those who live on the earth. And look at, listen to what it says. To every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and all people. The gospel is for all people. God's heart is evangelism. God's heart is that every single, every single nation, every single country, every single, all people groups will come to know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is, this is, verse 6 makes it clear to me, he's given everyone on the planet an opportunity to repent. Okay, it's not just a, a select few, but the gospel is for all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So this angel's out flying him in heaven and spreading the gospel. So he's got the angel flying, preaching the gospel. Got the Jewish evangelist preaching the gospel. Got the Gentile believers uh, preaching the gospel. God will get his word out. Okay, God will get his word out. Don't worry. If, if we don't take the gospel to the world... God will raise somebody else up, and he will. He will get his word out. Verse 7. Look, notice that the, the, this is the message. The, the, the message from the angel, verse 7. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens and the earth and the seas and the spring of water. Now, I don't know about you, but when he, he, there's three things. There's three messages in verse 7. One is fear God. Second is give him glory. And three is worship him. This is the opposite of what sinful man wants. In our world today, we like to say, I will, I, we don't want to fear nothing. And we want to make life about ourselves and what we think and what we, we think is right. But the message of the gospel is that you and I are removed from our throne and Jesus Christ is exalted. And that's what he's saying here. This is counter to man's pride. Counter to man's pride. Because he says in verse 7, fear God. He says, he says, no, you should fear the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? It means to have reverence for him. To stand in awe to look up at the universe, to look up at the heavens, to look at the earth and say, wow, you're an amazing God. You made all this. To look in the mirror when you're brushing your teeth and look at the intricacies of your face and your nose and your mouth and your ears and your eyes. And you're like, wow, you are an awesome God that made all these things and you stand in awe. It doesn't mean you're scared of him. Amen. Thank you. It doesn't mean that you're scared of him in the sense of, uh, that's not what he's talking about. It's talking about a reverential, uh, reverential respect for the Lord and how awesome and how magnificent he is. The second thing he says, he says there in verse 7, give him glory. What, what does it mean to give Christ glory? It simply means this, place Christ first. Make Jesus the center of your life. 
Take your, we take our, we take, I, t- I take myself off the throne and I put the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to give him glory. And then the third one, again, all these are opposite of man's pride. Uh, we, we worship him. In other words, when you say you worship the Lord, you place him first and you live to honor him. Verse 8, verse 8. Now it's going to get dark. Now, now God is opening up to us here uh, the, the, the dire situation of the fallen world. Look at verse 8. And another angel, a second one, follows saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. Now when you look at verse 8, there's two main parts. One is Babylon the great, um, and then the, 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 what's going on here is she drinks of the wine. Well, what kind of wine are we talking about here? It says it, the passion of her immorality. Babylon, in verse 8, is Satan's kingdom on the earth. It is the spirit of the age that you and I live in, and it promotes immorality, and it is anti-God. And during the great tribulation, we know from the book of Daniel that there will be this thing called the revived Roman Empire, okay? This revived Roman Empire that the Antichrist will rule over. And in addition to them being godless, they they will embody this spirit of immorality because they will be anti-Christianity and anti-God. But here's the deal, family. Notice what it says in verse 8, halfway through verse 8. Fallen, fallen. That's important there in that phrase. Because that phrase, fallen, fallen, in verse 8, what does that tell us about Babylon? That this kingdom, this, this future kingdom, it tells us this, that it's going to come crashing down. It's going to come crashing down under the mighty hand of God. Psalm 46, verse 6 says, The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, and the earth melted at the hand of the Almighty God. He will bring it to an end. Do not tell me the book of Revelation cannot be understood. If we take it verse by verse, break it down, take our time, not get in a hurry, this book can be understood, and you can be blessed by it according to Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. We just got to take our time and we got to look at it. Let's continue. Verse 9. This is the doom of those who worship the beast during the great tribulation. Verses, we'll read verses 9 through 11. There's a lot here. It says, Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Verse 11, And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day and night. Those who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Whatever you do, If somebody here goes through the great tribulation or somebody online is watching, don't take the mark. Don't take the mark. 
Don't commit your life to following the Antichrist, which is ultimately following Satan. Verses 9 through 11 here is a lot here. This is the doom of those who worship the beast. During the great tribulation, there will be a final call. There will be a final call for salvation. And those who reject Christ and and embrace the Antichrist will experience a severe judgment, according to verse 10. It will be full strength, 100 proof, undiluted wrath of God. The final rejection will be sealed with unbelievers receiving the mark of the beast. It will seal the deal. They, unfortunately, will have made their bed with the Antichrist, trusting in the Antichrist instead of the true Christ. And they will literally make their bed in a place called hell. Because this is where the lost will spend eternity. And it should break our hearts. We should weep. We should mourn for our friends who don't know Christ. You know, um, hell is a forgotten and unpopular subject in the church today. Many don't like to talk about it. A.W. Tozer said this, the vague and tenuous hope that God is too kind to punish the ungodly has become the deadly opiate for the consciences of millions. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, verses 49 through 50, so it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And if you go back and study 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, you'll see he there is talking about the Antichrist and the great tribulation. Hell is a real place. Um, if you take all the scriptures and you put them all together, it's, it's a real place. It's a place where there's no rest, night and day, and it goes on forever and ever. Where there's weeping, there's gnashing of teeth. Uh, Jesus said it's, it's a torment by fire and brimstone. By the way, if you go back and look at verse 10, that, that, that Greek word brimstone there in verse 10, it refers to sulfur flashes in a burning lake. And uh, it was an Italian uh, poem written back in the 15th century called Dante's Inferno. Anybody ever heard of that? In Dante's Inferno, there's, there's a sign that hangs over the entrance that says, he who enters abandons all hope. This is sad, family. This is sad. Everyone in hell will be plagued by remorse and the undying memory of the life they once lived where they ignored and never trusted in Christ. That is tragic. Jesus Christ, our loving Savior, our amazing and awesome God, he died on the cross of Calvary to save men and women from this terrible reality 
Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave. And for those who receive and trust in Christ, they will not stand in judgment. Rather, one day, they will stand in the glory of eternity. The Lord Jesus Christ, not only does he save us from our sin, not only does he save us from the wrath to come, but he also saves us to give us a place in eternity to spend with him called heaven. Amen? Jesus said in John chapter 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place. Thomas said to him, Lord, how can we know the way? And Jesus said, one of my favorite Bible verses, John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you're trusting in Christ, there's no fear in his perfect love. Judgment has passed over. Judgment was settled at the cross. And you have an eternity to look forward to spending with him in heaven. Amen. Amen. But if, if you go back, if you didn't listen to last week's message or the week before's message, you, you would say this is just and this is right. Because if you go back and look at the past two chapters, it was, it was message after message. Repent, repent, repent. The people's hearts were hardened and they just would not repent. They would not turn. So anyway, verse 12, verse 12 says, uh, here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. I just got to stop right there because this word perseverance really hung in my spirit as I was studying this week. This word perseverance, friends and family, we got to persevere, okay? We got to persevere. You got to make a decision, make up your mind. You know what? I'm in this for the long haul, Lord Jesus. I'm in this to love you all the days of my life. I'm in this to stay the, stay the course to the end. There's got to be a spirit of perseverance within the heart of every believer. You know what? God will not let you down. He will not let you down. He will always be there for you. He will hold you in his hand. He will take care of you. Man, trust in him all the days of your life, okay? And when tragedy strikes, don't blame it on God. He is not the author of sin. He is not the author of evil. You know, we, sin and evil and tragedy happen around us in our world. Why? Because we live in a fallen world marred by sin. That's why we see death. That's why we see disease. That's why we see bad things happening. Because there's a lot of bad people that are fallen in this world. But God is not evil. God is perfect. God is good. God is righteous. And you can persevere to the end because he's going to persevere to you. And even if you run from him, he's going to run after you. So let's persevere. Let's persevere. But I'm going to tell you, though, just a little side note. I wasn't born at night. And the thought of the lake of fire, not no, but hell no, I ain't going there. Nuh-uh. That's incentive enough to read what the Bible says about it to read what the Bible says about it. No, I don't want to go there, man. Eternity's too long. That's a long, I'm going to be gone for a long time. I want to get it right. But praise the Lord for his faithfulness and his, his awesomeness. Verse 13, verse 13, let's continue our verse by verse study. He says, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, 
Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors and their deeds and follow him. You know what? These tribulation saints, they are, they, they're just like you and me, okay? They're not superhuman. They have fears. Oh, my goodness. All this evil is happening. I'm going to lose my life. And what that verse is telling the tribulation saints is, hey, stay the course. Stay the course. It's better to die in Christ than to be unfaithful. Because 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8 says this, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Stay the course. Even if the world takes our life, guess what that is? That's a graduation. Because you're going to be with heaven. You're going to be in heaven with the Lord Jesus. And when you get there, you know, I haven't seen heaven. All I've, all I've ever seen is this earthly life, this earthly existence. But the scripture says that when I, that day that this body is laid down and this soul steps into eternity and I see the Lord Jesus Christ, it's going to be mind-blowingly amazing. And if we could go there and then come back, we'd be like, oh yeah, this life ain't nothing. This life ain't nothing compared to heaven. Man, stay faithful to him. Stay faithful to him. So he's telling them during the Great Tribulation, verse 13, hey, this is, a, this is a word of instruction. If you have to face death for Christ, face it. If you are persecuted, accept it. But do not deny Christ. Follow him to the end. Stay the course. Finish strong. And a phrase has become real popular lately, which I kind of like. I hear, I hear the younger generation say it, is, is um, God saying, you got this. You got this. You can do it. You can do it. Verse 14. Verse 14 says, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud sitting on the cloud was one like the Son of Man, having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Now we know that, we've talked about this before, when you're studying the book of Revelation, you have to look at the book of Daniel, and this phrase, Son of Man, in verse 14, is what is used to describe Jesus in the, in the um, book of Daniel. And what verses, actually verses 14 through 16, family, this could be called the final curtain call. This could be, this is the final harvest of the great tribulation. And the Lord Jesus Christ is carrying a big blade, a big, big swing blade. And, I'll, and, I'll, and I'm thankful for this passage because this tells me that even during the great tribulation, it's, it's going to be about souls. In the midst of the darkness and the wrath being poured out, it's going to be about people coming to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But, uh, here it is, the, the, the reaping. Actually, verses 14 through 20, the rest of the passage. He says, uh, verse 15, And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, talking about Jesus, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, because the harvest of the earth is ripe. Now the sickles were to reap what? The grain. They would reap the grain. Once the grain was, was fully grown, they would use the sickles to, to reap the grain. But now he's using this uh, language to describe the salvation of souls in verses 16. You know, I believe many will be saved during the great tribulation. And these people that are being harvested, these are those during the great tribulation who receive Christ and follow him. Evidently, you know, the, the old school of hard knocks is some people, it will take the great tribulation to w awaken them. But during the, the great tribulation will open certain people's eyes and they'll be like, oh, snap, this is right. This is true. 
and they will bow and surrender and experience the grace of God during the great tribulation. You know, salvation, very important. Salvation is a free gift. Salvation is a free gift from God. It's a free gift he gives to you through the Lord Jesus Christ. It comes by being born again. And when you are born again, that word born again simply means the Holy Spirit comes into your heart and gives you a new birth, gives you this new life in Christ. And the the main two fruits of that born again experience is you will then turn away from sin, you'll start moving in the opposite direction, and then you'll trust and you'll love Christ. It's so simple. A child, child, it takes childlike faith to understand the gospel. But unfortunately, us humans, us adults, us religions, us denominations, we, 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 we try to complicate it. It's not complicated. It's so, so simple. Trust in Christ. Make him the Lord of your life and say, Lord Jesus, I love you. I trust you. It's not about church membership. It's not about tithing or getting water baptized or the Lord's Supper. There's no works. It's a free gift where he lives on the inside of you. That is salvation. That is experiencing the grace of God. And that's what they're going to experience here in the Great Tribulation. Uh, but look at verse 17. Verse 17. So he talks about a reaping, a reaping for, uh, for believers. Now he's going to turn to a reaping of the ungodly. Verse 17. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven. And he also had a sharp sickle. Now one thing I, 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 I failed to mention a while ago is when you study the book of Revelation, we talked, I've, I've mentioned this before, is you've got to know your Old Testament. It's like the book of, especially, wait till we get to next week's chapter. Uh, when you're studying the book of Revelation, the attention is no longer on the church, that we're, the church age that we're living in now. The attention is on the nation of Israel. And that's why you see all this angelic activity and you see the temples and, and all these references to the Old Testament. But here it says they came out of the temple. This temple which is in heaven also had a sharp sickle. And then another angel the one who has power over fire came out from the altar and he called with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle saying, put your sharp sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth because her grapes are ripe. Verse 19, so the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth and threw them into the great, great wine press of the wrath of God. Now, there's a lot of imagery here. There's a lot of imagery and a lot of words that are symbolic in these verses. But basically what he's talking about is he just talked about the reaping of believers, people who trust in Christ. Now he's talking about the reaping of the ungodly, okay? The ungodly world will stand in judgment. No one will be exempt or be able to escape the future appointment. I have read stories in the past where ungodly people 
have given instructions for their bodies to be cremated at death. And what they were doing is they wanted to eliminate any possibility of having to stand before God on judgment day. Or how about the, the wicked fisherman who falls overboard and gets eaten by a shark? The shark does his business and the fish take care of that business. What happens to him? What happens to the, the people that have long gone and turned into dust? Here's what happens to them. God knows where every single molecular structure in the universe is, okay? And on that day, he will bring it all back to. There will be in a day of accountability. No worries. He will bring them back, and they will stand before him in judgment to be held accountable. I think it's Hebrews 9.27 says, it's appointed once a man to die and then face judgment. Verse 20. So we had the, so you, in the great tribulation, verses 14 through 16, you have the reaping of the believers, those who come to Christ, and then verses 17 through 19, you have the reaping of the ungodly and those who take the mark of the beast, and etc. And finally, in verse 20, verse 20, um, he says, And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and the blood came out from the winepress up to the horse's bridle for a distance of 200 miles. Now, as John's writing the book of Revelation, not everything is in chronological order. And we've seen this over our, in our study over the past couple months where he'll give a quick caption, a quick one-verse description of something else that the book of Revelation talks about. Later on in the book of Revelation, he'll use one verse to talk about something that happened in the past. Early on in the book of Revelation, he'll use one verse that talks about a whole chapter. And what's being talked about, friends and family, in verse 20 is actually it's called the Battle of Armageddon. And thankfully, you can go ahead, you can read it ahead of time. It's described, you can read about it in Revelation chapter 19. So in about three or four weeks, when we get to Revelation 19, We'll talk about the battle of Armageddon. But in short, looking at verse 20, this is where the armies of the ungodly world will assemble to battle against the Lord Jesus Christ at his second coming. And this is when he's coming back on his white horse. They've assembled their armies and he is going to wipe them out with the breath of his mouth. They will suffer a crushing defeat resulting in, as the text says, blood going up to the bridle of horses in the valley of Megiddo. You know, um, so we'll, we'll study that more in Revelation chapter 19. But the point is this wine press, this judgment, is whether you realize it or not, or whether the world realizes it or not, they are doing exactly what every heart and every single human being wants. God is ridding the world of injustice. To be against this judgment is to be against justice. We want evil removed from the world. We want sin removed from the world. We want bad things removed from the world. And if anybody thinks different, they, they need to get their head checked. Because 
Nobody likes sin. Nobody likes evil. Nobody likes to see tragedy. I don't. But trust me, our God, the book of Revelation, is going to remove all sin, all evil, all tragedy, everything that's wrong about this world. He's going to remove it. And one day, friends and family, we're going to get there. I think it's in Revelation chapter 20, I believe. But we're going to talk about the kingdom. There is coming upon this world a literal 1,000-year reign of Christ where righteousness is going to rule and reign. And he is going to rid the world of all tragedy, all evil, all sickness, all diseases, and everything that's bad, he is going to remove it. That's how big and how awesome our God is. He saved our souls through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in one day, so he saved, he saved my soul Hopefully he saved your soul inside. And one day he's going to save us, our body, and give us a brand new body, a glorified body that will never experience death, that will live forever, that will go through walls, that will be supernatural, just like the Lord Jesus' body. But one day it's going to work its way out. And he's going to do that with the whole entire planet and the whole entire universe. He's going to rid the world of evil and justice and sin. And that's what this is all about. This is God cleaning house. Man, we messed it up in the garden. We, 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 Adam and Eve chose to rebel. And some people be like, man, that's, that's their fault. Why did they do it? But we could point the finger back at ourselves and ask ourselves, why did we sin? Why did we rebel against God's law? Same reason they did, because of ignorance, because of rebellion. But God's going to remove it all. He's going to fix everything, and he's going to make it perfect, okay? There's this perfect kingdom coming. There's this perfect world coming. Friends and family, those watching online, you do not want to miss it. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be mind-blowingly amazing. So in closing, looking at, we've talked about the, the doctrine of judgment. We've talked about the doctrine of salvation. We've talked about the doctrine of hell. I close with this, reminding you all that God has made a way to not face judgment. God has made a way for every single human being to not face this severe judgment. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you know the Bible verse, it's on Tim Tebow's eyebrows, it's every football game. John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not perish, shall not perish. Do we need to underline that part of John 3, 16? Shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus said in John 14, 6, in case you're wondering, is this true or not? Well, that's just what y'all believe. That's just what the Christians believe. No, it's not what just Christians believe. Jesus said in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, he says, for nothing, this is, this is philosophical from my deep thinkers. Uh, Paul says, for nothing can be done against the truth, but only for the truth. In other words, the truth is inevitable. It's reality. You know, we accept it, reject it, we embrace it or walk away from it, but it's still the truth. That's who our God is. Today, 
commit your life to surrendering your life to Jesus. Follow him with all your heart and then commit to saying today, Lord Jesus, I'm gonna live my life for you. That is the gospel. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for Revelation chapter 14. And Lord, we have, uh, we've learned from you this morning because we've learned from your word. Father, encourage us, strengthen us. Father, help believers to love you with all their heart and help them to obey you with all their heart. And Father, if there's anyone who doesn't know you in person or online, I pray that they'll call upon your name today. They'll call upon the name above all names, Jesus. And they will surrender their life to you. They'll surrender their life to you, Jesus. In truth, in love, and in grace. They'll say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Today is the day of salvation. Lord, we love you and praise you. And thank you, Lord, for this service. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen.